Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, welcome everybody. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Got a great show as usual, as always today with a good friend of mine who is coming to us from Israel. So I'm super excited about talking with Haim and he's been a friend for a few years and uh, been on the show before. Glad to have him back today. We're going to be talking all about designing a business that supports your lifestyle. And uh, we've talked about virtual wholesaling for a long time. But to meet people that are actually doing it, who are actually living it, can live anywhere in the world and still do deals and make a great income doing it is something that is deep passion of mine. I love talking to people about that. So we're going to be interviewing Haim here in just a minute. I want to tell you first, though, a couple uh, home pieces of homework here for you guys. Number one, we're coming at you live right now in the YouTubes and the Facebooks and yeah, that's it. YouTube and Facebook. So if you're watching, I want to ask you, please do me a favor. Give us a thumbs up. Like this video. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, please. I'm pushing hard to get 15,000 subscribers. And uh, you can help me by doing that by right now. Subscribe to this YouTube channel and also um, comment down below the video. Just say, hey, this is a great topic or ask any questions that you might have. Because as we're live right now, and you may be listening to this on the audio podcast version. So hello to you, audio podcast listener friends. But if you're watching this live, you can comment down below the Facebook or the YouTube video with any questions or comments or anything like that. And we will pop your comment up on the screen just to like, here we go. Here's Ralph watching on the YouTubes. Hey, Ralph, how are you? Thanks for saying hi. I'm glad you're here. So if you've got questions like that, type them in the comments and we'll put them up here and then we'll, we'll talk about them. All right. So I'm glad you guys are here. One more thing then real quick. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by my book called Simple Lease Options. And you can get this book entirely for free, the PDF version, by just watching my webinar at sloclass.com. Sloclass for Simple Lease Options. Com. This book is uh, the easiest and fastest way to do more deals. Get this book. It'll teach you um, how to do lease options in the easiest and fastest way uh, in any market, right? So if you can go from making getting one out of 30 offers accepted to maybe three out of 30 offers accepted, if you can offer the seller multiple different options, then uh, you win. You make more money doing more deals. All right. Get my book at sloclass.com. Oh, what a mess. All right. Hey, let's bring on Haim um, before I make another mess of myself. Hey, Haim, how are you, man? Good. How are you, Joe? <laughs> nice way to recover from the water spill over there. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, it is just water, but uh, it'll be okay. Man, how are you? Everything good. Everything great. Thanks for having me again. Now, Haim, how do you pronounce your name? Haim. It's like Lechaim, like cheers. It's Haim. That's like cheers. Hebrew. Is that Hebrew. what it means? Yeah, like cheers. To life. Nice. To life. Really? Yeah, that's my name. Cool life. Name. I wish yeah. I had that as a nickname, yeah. but uh, that's super cool. And you're in Israel right now, right? I am. I am in Israel. It's a Wednesday, the 13th, 5 p.m. So I'm probably eight or seven hours ahead of you. Yes. All right. And we first met, trying to remember, a long time ago. I, you know, I remember what it was. Uh, in a Facebook group, I think Wholesaling House is full-time. You were talking about some virtual deals that you were doing, and I sent you a message. And I just said, hey, this is awesome what you're doing. And can we, can I get you on my podcast? Is that right? It's a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, I think I made a post while I was traveling with my family in Japan. Yes. Uh, and I closed the deal and I posted and I think you reached out. And since then, we, we did a few things together. We developed a friendship and it was cool. And I was Thanks on your it. podcast. You have a really cool podcast. Talk about that. So we, when I moved back to Israel after living 20 years in the U.S., and, and wholesaling here, there's a lot of people who invest in real estate in the U.S., but wholesaling, it's not very developed. Not a lot of people know about it. People like to buy rentals and, and do fix and flip, but not a lot of people know about wholesaling and the strategy. And my friend who started this uh, Facebook group realized that I'm coming back to Israel and told me, listen, you've been doing it for a while. Uh, let's join forces, bring awareness of wholesaling. Uh, to Israel, so people can do it virtually from Israel, doing deals in the U.S. And since then, we joined forces, and that's what we do. We kind of bring the attention to Israelis to do deals in the U.S. 
It's awesome. And I was on your podcast talking about how to do deals virtually. And I even joined your Facebook group and I can't, I can't read anything in the Facebook group. It's all in Hebrew. And, but it was pretty cool. I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm a, a, a member of a Hebrew, uh, um, Israeli. <laughs> the Hebrew man. <laughs> yes. Facebook group. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was an honor to be on your show. And I think it's super cool. Like you used to live in San Francisco. Is that right? Correct. Yes. And, Up until last year, I lived in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And you've always traveled a lot with your family, right? I got into real estate because it really was a great vehicle for me to A, quit my job and B, to live wherever I want, I want and still be able to provide to my family and kind of take the business with me while I'm traveling with my family. So that was my main goal why I got into real estate and, and quickly realized that probably virtual wholesaling is a great niche for me to support the desired lifestyle that I want. Yeah. That's awesome. And so then you were, because you were in Japan when I saw you post that message, San Francisco, right? It's always been an expensive market, very competitive. You were kind of like forced to do deals virtually, weren't you, when you were living there? In a way, I started doing uh, buying rentals. That was okay. kind of red, reached that for that, started to buy rentals in the San Francisco Bay Area. After buying two properties, I ran out of money because the property value is so high. And start to buy rentals in cash flow markets and, and came to Memphis. Memphis was, a, again, a great market to, to buy and hold properties. Uh, so did that, bought a few other properties and, and then realized I probably need 30 more properties before I can quit my job. Uh, and this is what got me into wholesaling, you know? Okay. I was, again, in my mind, I was too scared to start to make all cash offers on uh, $1.5 million properties in the Bay Area. And in my mind, I thought, let's start in, in, in the minor league, if you will. Huh. Go to Memphis, make offers on uh, $30,000, $70,000 properties, get some deals under my belt. And then if I decide to move back to the, to the major league, uh, to the Bay Area, I will have the experience. And, and instead of making millions of dollars, uh, mistakes, I can do it on a few thousand dollar mistakes. All right. Is, so that's kind of what my, my journey. And what were you, what kind of job did you have? Where were you working? I was uh, doing security. So I used to work for uh, the Jewish Community Center in San Francisco as the director of security. And job was great. Again, I had nice salary. I don't have these stories that I was starving for food and I slept in my friend's couch in their living room. <laughs> I had a pretty comfortable lifestyle, and I think that was that was my pain point, that it was too comfortable. Got my paycheck every two weeks, but obviously couldn't get in the the corporate ladder and make the the amount of money that I wanted. Couldn't grow up professionally, and that was kind of being too comfortable and not dictating my own value and yeah. and my my income and my again controlling my time. That was the motivation for me to to start pursue real estate. You know, my, my family and I, we were members of the Jewish Community Center here in St. Louis. Uh, yeah. There's about a couple, three miles from our house for about a really? year. And it was really cool. They uh, have a nice pool. You don't have to be Jewish to be a member. They accept anybody. Right. And um, it was very nice. And uh, you could work out there and there was hardly anybody ever there in the mornings. It was a, a beautiful mm -hmm. facility. It was really nice. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So you had a good, comfortable job. When did you come to the U.S.? Because you, you were in Israel. Weren't you born and raised there? Yeah, I was born and raised in Israel, and I came to the U.S. in the year 2001 to pursue my higher education. So I always wanted to, again, was brought up and raised to pursue higher education, to go to school. The, the classical rich dad story, a poor dad story. Got in the U.S., got my undergraduate degree and graduate degree to realize that I can't support a family. I had two young kids in the Bay Area. The cost of living is super expensive. And this is got, again, that's the, the beginning of my journey in real estate, realizing that I need to find a better profession in order to, to live the lifestyle that I want and to make more money so I can provide to my family if I want to keep living in San Francisco. Now, this was, was this before 9-11 when you came here to the U.S.? Yes. So I, I came in the bit. End of 2000, beginning of 2001, and I think September 11 was 2001. Uh, so I was in the U.S. when September 11 happened. Okay. Do you think, I, I'm just curious and off topic maybe, but do you think it would have been harder to come to the U.S. after 9-11? 100%, 100%. Much more. 
harder because especially for me, I came as a student and, you know, the terrorists were on, I think some of them were on, uh, on tourist visas. And before September 11, it was fairly easy to get the visas. There was not, again, Homeland Security was, again, there was the, I think it was the, the immigration. It, there was a, a different name, but Homeland Security just started after September 11 and they kind of cracked down on all the visas and the permits and the, and it was much harder after September 11 to get to the U.S. for sure. I can imagine, um, you know, the U.S. was on high alert, but I can imagine Israel being on even that much, much more high alert. And you were in the military. Sure. I mean, everybody has to serve in the military in Israel, right? Correct. Yes. Um, did you think you were going to be called back to active duty in Israel or is that a possibility? At the time, it wasn't a possibility back then. But when I got to the U.S., I worked for the Israeli consulate in the U.S. and it was downtown San Francisco. And we definitely thought we are under threat. The consulate building was uh, two building away from the pyramid building in San Francisco. If you're familiar, it's again yeah, it's yeah. a major landmark of San Francisco, and all downtown was vacated and evacuated, uh, including the consulate. So it was a scary time. Wow. Just being in downtown San Francisco, working for the Israeli consulate at the time. So it was wow. definitely a concern. Okay. So you start doing deals, you start wholesaling. Why wholesaling though? I mean, you could just, because I remember back then in the day when I was thinking about reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and like, oh man, all I got to do is buy like one house every couple, three months. And I need to get, you know, 60 or 70 of them. And then I'll have enough cash flow and I can quit my job. Mm-hmm. But it, t- it turned out to be a lot. Easier said than done. I mean, did you find like it was harder to get the kind of cash flow you wanted to get? Uh, yes, because again, when you buy a rentals, usually again, it's between 200 bucks and 500 bucks uh, per property. Again, and for me, again, I, I had seven rentals at one point, And again, it's generated 300 per property. So it was nice, but it wasn't enough to quit my job and supplement, again, just replace my day job. And that was my, my number one goal. And I know that it's not the pace that I need to be in order to quit my job like yesterday. So I knew I need to generate more money in a shorter period of time. And this is why wholesaling made more sense for me because I can get, for me, $5,000 a month changed my life. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's a deal a month. Again, back in Memphis, the average was between five and $10,000 per deal. So a deal a month changed my life. Yeah. And instead of buying rentals every few months and each rentals generates 300 bucks, I prefer to do a one deal a month that generates between five and $10,000. And that will get me in a quicker pace to quit my job and hit my goal. So, so um, and I love that too, because I found that, yeah, if I, and I was averaging two or three deals a month when I quit my job and making, you know, not, I mean, not a, my average profit on a deal was three to four grand. And mm-hmm. uh, it was just because... I just wasn't asking for more. I mean, I, I could have gotten more, but I didn't know you could ask for more, right? But um, yeah. I remember thinking, man, it's so much easier to make 10 grand a month wholesaling than buying and holding a ton of rental properties. And a lot of times, yeah. I mean, the, I'm not trying to knock that, but a lot of that two or $300 a month that you get in cash flow is going to disappear mm-hmm. the next vacancy you have, the next exactly. furnace you have to replace or the roof you have to fix. Or yeah, so it's that that's good for the long game, right? But you you need to know, that's why I love wholesaling so much, is you need to have a way, right, to make the quick turn deals so you can make some cash yes. to pay the bills. 100%. Again, I just, obviously with rentals comes headaches, and you know that it's not completely passive. And the more rentals, the more headaches you, you get. So I just, at one point, decided, you know what, I just need to learn a skill to generate quick money in a shorter period of time. And that's what I was doing for about two years while working a nine to five job before I got to September 30th, 2016. That's my independence day. That's when I, I had to, to let my employer go to fire my boss. And uh, we just celebrated my independence day uh, wow. a week ago. So still a big <laughs> five day. Five years. Here, family. Five years, right? Yeah. So six years. Oh, that's okay. Yes. Yeah. Six years, man. Been working on your own. With no safety yes. net. With no safety nets. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. Again, that's the the day that I decided to go all in, you know, all in, uh, being a full-time real estate investor. And I did what everybody in my mastermind did back in the time, uh, back in, in the day, which is the keywords is scaling. I went all in. I started to scale the business, went to three different markets, hire acquisition people, hired three virtual assistants, had a lead manager, uh, went 
all again I was all in and and it was great for two years and then I again I always like to tell the story I was in Santorini Greece one of the most beautiful places in the world and in the middle of the night because I had to again I, I did a Monday morning meeting following the traction and everybody loved the, the traction book <laughs> a Monday morning meeting running KPIs again I had the virtual assistants in the Philippines I have three people in three different time zones I, it was the middle of the night in Greece, dealing with KPI, with bullshit, with, again, people not showing up, marketing campaign don't go out, people don't hitting their KPIs. And the next day, I was just by the swimming pool. And again, my, my kids wanted to play with me. Mm-hmm. And that is a zombie. He's jet lagged, has no energy. And I said, listen, I just, I quit my job. Great. But I created a, another job that I hate. And I hated to run the business. I built a machine that I, I hate to run. And it was another aha moment when I said, you know what? This is not the type of business that I want. And gave everybody two weeks notice. Wow. And, and kind of decided that's not the model. Uh, high volume, low spread deals did not work out for me. Uh, and I knew that I had to, to make a change to shift the model. Man, you don't hear very many people talk about that, do you? All you hear about typically is the... Oh, I'm doing 20 deals a month, right? I'm making a hundred grand, a million dollars a month or whatever. What you don't hear is the what's really going on behind the scenes to generate that kind yeah. of a business, right? Yeah. You think it's awesome, you think it's cool, but you know, the bigger you get, the smaller your margins get. Would you agree with that? Isn't 100%. that percent And listen, for some for some people, you know, it's it's really very because a lot of people want to build a big business. They want to go to multiple markets, they want to build a real business with overhead, with offices, with big uh, staffing. And for me, again, it just wasn't the right fit. And I wasn't doing a lot of volume. Again, like the peak of my business was maybe seven deals per month. And it was enough for me to know that I don't want to grow any bigger than that. It was enough. I'm done with this model. And I shift the model from high volume, low spread. I decided to go back to the Bay Area and do low volume, big spread deals when I don't need to run a big team. I don't need to run a big marketing campaigns and generating a ton of leads and going to multiple appointments. All I needed is six deals a year, but mm. each deal was very juicy. Like six, I was just shooting for six figure deals. Wow. Um, and, and that's what I was doing since 2017 till 2019, just making low volume deals, but each deal was really big. Now, were you uh, from 2017 to 2019, were you doing fix and flip? So I decided to move back to the Bay Area and start to do deals. So I was doing, I was 99% I closed on the deal. I took ownership. Sometimes I just uh, put it back on the market without doing any work because there was enough spread. And these were Uh, all deals in the Bay Area, right? Yes. So the beginning was in Oakland, which is again, a suburb of, again, Oakland Raiders, Oakland A's, it's the big city in the Bay Area. So did few deals in, in Oakland. And then I started to do only in San Francisco. I partnered with an architect that has the skill set to do b- bigger projects, has the property, the, the construction skills to manage teams, which for me, it was the, the, the aspect of the business that I did not enjoy. I enjoyed the putting the deals together to funding it and kind of closing the deals and handing the deal. To my partner, who was an architect, he was a project manager, and he was bringing the deal to the finish line. And we were able to create big spread by doing fix and flips in the last uh, year and a half. In the Bay Area, how did you find these big six-figure deals? It was primarily uh, working with wholesalers and realtors. I stopped doing any paid campaigns. I Again, I didn't do any mailers. I was just leveraging a relationship. I was leveraging my social media. Again, I was putting myself out there. People knew who I was, what I do. Uh, I was a guest on your show, on other people's show. And just, I knew where they're coming from as wholesalers. What's the pain point of wholesalers working with the cash buyers? And now I became a cash buyer. So I knew how to kind of work the relationship and understand what's the value I can bring to to a wholesaler, especially a beginner wholesaler. And I kind kind of groomed them and coach them and train them in exchange to uh, first shatter their deals. And I didn't care. Again, I paid $50,000 assignment. I paid one time $100,000 assignment. Wow. As long as the deal made sense, I didn't care. 
because I knew this is one of the biggest pain points for wholesalers that the cash buyers kind of negotiating off their spread. And I didn't care as long as the numbers made, this, made sense for me. Nice. So you did that for two years. What happened after that? After that, uh, as a family, we made a decision that we want to move back to Israel. Uh, that was 20, the end of 2019. Actually, July, we moved back in 2020. So I decided, again, we decided, my wife and I, that our parents getting older, we wanted to give our kids the gift of growing up with family. If you don't mind me asking, is your wife from Israel too? My wife is from Israel too, yes. Nice, we came okay. to the U.S. together. Uh, my kids, born and raised in the U.S., but we always came, at least in the last, uh, since I quit my job for like the full summer to Israel, traveling in the world and also spending the summer in Israel. And we really want them to grow up with, with cousins and uncles and aunts. We want them to spend the last years of our parents together when they're still fairly young and healthy. And we decided to give them the gift of growing up with family. And I got the skills to do what I want from wherever in the world. And we missed Israel. So we decided to, to make the move during a COVID. It wow. was a challenging year, but I think we, again, it was a good move for the future of our kids and our family. Good for you. Good for you. How yeah. old are your kids now, if you don't mind me asking? My son is 15 and a half and my daughter is 14. Nice. So yeah. are you guys Israeli citizens, dual citizenship? How does that work? I'm just curious. So we are dual citizenship. Since, again, we, we spend a lot of time in the U.S., we became, uh, we naturalized. So we are U.S. citizens and our kids also, they born, were born in the U.S. And, and they also Israeli citizens. So that's awesome. We both, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I wanted to ask you, if you were to go back to when you quit your job, you started wholesaling. What were some of the challenges that you, that you faced in that one or two years after you quit your job that you look going back, looking back, you would have done differently? After quitting my job? Yes. I think I followed a model that everybody in my mastermind, again, because again, one of the things that people tell you, surround yourself with like-minded individuals. And the mastermind that I was in, everybody were just want to do bigger and more deals and, and scaling and having big teams. And I kind of thought that that's, if I want to grow, I need to get out of my comfort zone and kind of follow the path to build a real business, right? Again, you don't have okay. a business. Everybody tell you, you don't have a business if you, you don't go to a vacation. And when you come back, you have more money in your bank account, right? right. Uh, yeah. so, so I followed the crowd, which is good for me. But in a sense, I, I followed someone else's journey. Yeah. It wasn't my path. Instead of, again, I knew that, again, I don't like to work hard. I want to to make more by working less so I can play more. That's kind of my guiding principles. And, and I knew that be doing bigger, having bigger teams, more deals, it's not, there's no alignment with my core values. And that's kind of the, the biggest, I don't know if it's a mistake, it's kind of, it's my journey, but I just followed somebody else's path instead of my path and finding my own path. So it's, it's pretty obvious, but let me just ask you anyway, what would you tell somebody who is you know, getting ready to quit their job, maybe just did quit their job and is doing real estate now, what, what advice would you give them? So, so, so first of all, again, I didn't quit my job before I had enough income for my wholesaling. So I did it while working my nine to five. I'm not saying that's the way to go. Again, this is what I did. Some people say you, you need to quit, burn the ships and you know, go because then you don't have any way to go back. Again, I was too scared to do that, honestly. I had two kids. Cost of living in, in, in San Francisco was high, so I needed the safety net of getting the paycheck and while pursuing my my real estate career on the side. So only when I got to a point that my side gig made me more money than my nine to five, I decided to quit my job. And some people say that, again, it's probably took me longer to get there, but that was my journey. Okay. All right. So then uh, you went and started doing big deals. Yes. And now you're in Israel. What uh, what kind of deals are you doing now? So one thing, get back to your previous question. As a wholesaler, one of the biggest advantages as wholesalers that we get first shot in any deals that we generate. A lot of wholesalers get addicted to the ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollar checks, and they forget that the long term to wealth and financial freedom is to build your passive income buying rentals. Again, I love doing a private money loan. So any income that I made, I just move it to the passive side. I invested to, to increase 
my biggest KPI was increase my monthly passive income. And then I got to a point, okay, now I can make big moves. If I want to move to Israel or to travel three months out of the year without doing any work, that allowed me to do that. So just to invest all the proceeds, all my profits into us, like income producing assets. So that's probably the biggest uh, tip I would give wholesalers. Keep a property, uh, again, out of five properties that you get under contract, try to keep one. Again, it's going to be one to 10, one to seven, whatever it is. But make sure the goal is also to acquire properties and not just making money and cash. Yeah. All right. So you're 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 cherry picking the best deals and keeping cherry picking them. the best deals, picking rentals and and doing private money loans. So that was the the kind of the what gave me the monthly income that I wanted. So I can decide it. You know what? I'm done. I don't want to do any fix and flips because I moved to another country. I still have the the money coming in the, in a monthly basis. And now I, again, what I enjoy doing is kind of giving back and having the, the Facebook group and coaching and showing people how they can live a better lifestyle than going to a nine to five every day. So if people don't like to do that, there's a better way to make money and you don't have to, you don't have to go to work every day. You can do it from the comfort of your, your home. Yeah. And with the technology that we have these days, you can do it anywhere in the world. Again, we have people yeah. closing deals, sitting in their in the rooms in Tel Aviv, doing and closing deals over the phone in St. Louis and in Memphis and in Jacksonville and other markets in the U.S. Nice. So it's a pretty cool time to live in. So you're making uh, income now from your rentals and your you lend private money as well. Yes. And you probably also, I mean, occasionally you'll do a deal here and then. Yes, I still have uh, people reaching out to me. So I will do uh, JV deals every once in a while. Somebody bring me a great deal. So either I will partner with them as uh, funding the deals or giving guidelines and coaching along the way. Sometimes I will invest in somebody's marketing efforts and then JV with them in exchange to kind of experience and access to funds. So just trying to create win-win. I don't do it a lot, probably again, once every quarter, a deal or two. Again, I just, it's more doing deals with other people to make sure I add value, just sharing my experience. And the return on time for me, it's more important by return on money at this point. Yeah, nice. And um, I see the uh, books behind your shoulder there, Russell yes. Brunson books. So and- you you are the one who introduced me to, to ClickFunnels. Actually, yes. I have to give you credit for that. So I'm very, very enjoying uh, online marketing and building yeah. funnels and, and also making money over the internet, sharing your expertise and monetizing because it also support my desired lifestyle yeah. because you can also do it from anywhere in the world and you can generate nice income and you're also helping people. So yeah. and that's something that it was really missing for me. Again, making deals is fun, but it's very transactional and changing someone's life by giving them uh, the knowledge and experience. It's much more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy more seeing my students doing deals than my own deals. So You know, I've said that so many times, and that is awesome. I, I would rather see a student get a deal and make $3,000 than make a $20,000 deal of my own. And that may sound crazy, but the fact that you can share your knowledge, like what we're doing here on this podcast, you know, creating content is a lot of work. People don't realize that, right? I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you're doing podcasts, you're doing Facebook groups, you're doing videos and you're teaching people, there's so many other benefits to that, right? You make you make good money coaching and helping people, but you also get mm-hmm. the benefit of people bringing you deals, partnering with deals, lending money on deals, and seeing somebody quit their job. I mean, I just had a student the other day sent me a, uh, a deal he wanted to partner with me on. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, you know what? It's kind of tight. There's not a lot of meat on that bone, but let me tell you something. You still have a deal there, right? And I just gave him five, 10 minutes of advice on how to find mm-hmm. a buyer for his deal. And uh, so I turned the deal down. I turned the deal mm-hmm. down. I said, listen, this is a good deal. You're so close. Just make like a few phone calls here. Find somebody to partner with on that deal. It was a short sale with the bank. And he did. He made mm-hmm. $8,500 on this deal. I couldn't believe it. I was wow. so happy for him. So excited for him, you know, and that's the stuff that I live for. I mean, I, yes. I, I don't, isn't that, do you kind of resonate it, with that as well? It's it's addicting feeling to to get messages when somebody says, you know what? You changed my life, you know. You you taught me a skill that I can now support my family. You know, my my wife just had a baby, and we just had a baby, and I don't need to go to work. I can be with her. I can support her. 
and be present. And I can take the skills that you taught me anywhere in the world and provide and support the family. So getting this type of messages, it's really, you know, it's, it's a bond that you will have this person for life. And when you do a deal with a seller, you help them. That's great. But at the end of the day, once the transaction is over, uh, you just need to go and pursue another lead. It's very transactional, which is cool, but it's less fulfilling for sure. That's so cool. And you got that other book behind you called The 30-Day Book. Yes. I it's a good wrote book. One, of the cha- one of the chapters in that book. I know. And it's a, uh, it's a great book. And if you guys are curious about you know wanting to do more about uh, internet marketing and stuff like that, go to 30days.com. That's another book that Br- uh, Russell Brunson put out. 30days.com and you can get, there's uh, 30 different chapters there of people that said if they lost everything and all they had was a ClickFunnels account, <laughs> what yeah. would they do? And I actually wrote a chapter in that book. You can get some of the videos, I think for free or buy the book or something, go to 30days.com, but cool. All right. So hi, yeah. the, uh, talk a little bit about, you've, you've got these friends now in Israel and yeah. uh, you're helping them do deals in the US. What is What are some of the things that you're teaching them to do? So first of all, just to uh, build a business, it's a, it's really a business. We, we're teaching them to put together a lead generation system with multiple strategies. So they get the phone to ring or we teach them how to work with VAs, how to manage VAs, how to manage a business with KPI, right? Uh, we teach them money making activities and all the terms that I learned from you and others generating leads speaking with sellers, making offers, and following up. That's the foundation for what we teach them. And and then the art of speaking on the phone, especially when English is not your, it's your second language. And just how do you come across for somebody or the rest, the other parts of the world, they have accents. And you tell them that you're going to buy probably the biggest investments or it's the biggest transaction of the life. How can you come across as somebody that has the authority and the capacity to do that. That's a big task. That's a big skill to teach. So all of that, we teach them. It's a lot of fun. They have challenges uh, because of the language, but with the technology and with JVs and the the other strategies we teach them, they're making things happen. People closing deals. It's fun to see. That is awesome. So talk about some of the strategies you teach. Like, first of all, you know, let's say I'm, uh, you find somebody who's from Israel. And mm-hmm. the, they want to learn how to do deals in the United States. Uh, wh- how, what do you? How do you? T- what do you tell them to do? I mean, obviously, start marketing and and, and uh, get some leads, get on mm-hmm. the phone, talk to people. But you know, let's say they they find a deal. They find like just yesterday, I did a, a, a YouTube video and I was live actually calling sellers to kind of mm-hmm. demonstrate. And I was out of my comfort zone, right? I was like, this I don't like doing this. Yeah, I saw that. I didn't listen to the entire thing, but I saw that you're making phone calls. I, cool. I had four really bad phone calls. And then the last <laughs> one, I just like, oh, what the heck? I'll call her. It turned out to be a good one. It was a property manager. She gave me an off-market deal. And she said, I think mm-hmm. I got a deal that you might like. And uh, we're looking mm-hmm. into it right now. And it might be actually a really good deal. All right. So what, what do you say to somebody who is in Israel or in another country? And they're like, Okay, I can mm-hmm. make phone calls. I can talk to realtors and property managers and wholesalers and find deals. But then what? Like, how do I go see the property? How how do I, you know, do I have to have an LLC in the United States? Do I have to have a bank account? What, what are some of those issues that you have to deal with there? So the, the biggest challenge that they have initially is to generating leads that in, in a cost-effective way. And a lot of people, what we teach is that they need to invest some type of money into marketing if they want to see quicker results. I'm not saying there is a non, no money uh, strategies. It's just going to take more efforts, more sweat equity. So the quickest way that we know how to generate a lot of leads in a fairly short period of time is cold calling. It's cold calling because the, it's push marketing, it's cheaper leads, less, again, lower quality leads, but you can do it in two days. You can have a mark again, you can hire a, a, a caller, you can put, you buy a dialer, you buy a list, you skip trace, and in two days, you're in business. You have leads coming in. This is something, and you can do it at volume, right? You can buy a $15,000, again, 15,000 records. You can skip them, trace, get it in the same day. You just clean the list, upload the phone calls. You have a caller. Boom, you're in business. You have lead generation system in a fairly quicker period of time. So this is number one. We like the, the, the speed. We teach also driving for dollar system where we hire drivers to drive in specific neighborhoods nice. uh, in a very systematic ways and to have KPIs, 
how we hire them, how we train them, how we manage them, and then to create more of a push marketing, a pull marketing campaign, sending postcards and text and cold calling and just creating a campaign. So we kind of hitting them from different angles, but obviously this is a more expensive ways to generate leads, but the quality of the leads that they're getting is much better. So we have a guy in St. Louis actually who's done 10 deals this year alone and got to $160,000 just doing it from Israel. Just driving for Doro system. He has two drivers in St. Louis. That is awesome. That's it. Yeah. So he's in Israel. Israel, In Tel Aviv. Hiring people in St. Louis to go driving for dollars for them. Yes. And so he's, is he paying them per lead or per hour, per mile? How is he paying them? So, so we teach that they, they start with the phase one is just to see if they're motivated, if they have the drive, if they are go-getters. So we, we pay them $1 per qualified lead initially. And we basically let them dictate their own income as long as it's qualified lead. So the serious people will do more and more and more and more and try to generate as many leads as possible. Obviously, we want to keep them at this phase under control to make sure they don't push garbage to the system because they're getting paid by prospects. And once we see we we find a good guy uh, or a good person, we move them to an hourly. And an hourly pay, we pay between 16 and 20 bucks per hour uh, with a very specific target of KPI that they need to generate per uh, hour. So it's around 15 prospect per hour. If and we give sometimes bonuses of if they hit their KPIs, we pay them for gas or we throw in gift cards or or things like that to make sure we, we keep them interested to perform and, and hit the KPIs on a weekly basis. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And uh, have you looked at about how much marketing dollars, if you're using, if you're just driving for dollar deals, about how much are they spending in marketing per deal using driving for dollars? Have you looked at that? Yes, it's between the cost per deal. It's somewhere between a thousand and sixteen hundred dollar per deal. Yeah, it depends on the market, depends on the zip code, because obviously you want to be in the C and D type neighborhood. Because when we go to nice neighborhood, again, it just takes them more time to generate to hit the KPI. And if you pay them hourly, the cost per deal going up. Nice, good. So yeah, what app do you use for driving for dollars? We, we use the deal machine. We like deal machine right now. Uh, if people really, after the first deal, we recommend them to go to the enterprise plan when they can have up to 30 drivers because with the pro plan, they can limit it to two seats. And if you really want to keep the pipe, it's like generating leads. It's generate drivers leads. Yeah. You'll have the non-serious that will come, not perform the trial task. They will quit after a week. And you want to keep circling drivers until to find a, a good ones. And with the, I think with the enterprise, you can have up to 30 drivers, which gives you, a, again, a lot of flexibility and there's pretty cool features. And That's amazing. I, I love driving for dollars and it's one of my favorite yeah. ways to find deals. Um, the best list. Yeah. It's, 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 the best list. You know, you're dealing with people though, right? If you, you know, just like anything, it's hard to find reliable people sometimes and you have to always yeah. be finding new drivers. And but it's a great. I'm looking at my deal machine uh, account right now, and I've got a lot of good leads in here. But the guy that I hired to do this, he kind of flaked out on me, and I've just been too busy to uh, to do anything with that. But cool. I, uh, I have a student that do it with virtual assistants, so they are virtually driving for dollars. Yeah. Uh, people in the Philippines again, it's uh, the cost for leads going up because of sometimes you're gonna drive in neighborhoods when the the Google Maps updated maybe three or four years ago. So we just want to make sure that when they're doing virtually driving for dollars, the Google Maps are probably not older than two years. Okay. And that's working. It's working. Yeah, it's working. It's uh, The cost per lead, it's uh, around $120 to $150 per lead. But they also, if you have good phone skills, you can get to one, two, because the quality of the leads are good, you can get to one to 20, one to 25. So yeah, so... Are you still doing, you know, one of the things that we, a project we worked on a long time ago uh, was uh, MLS hacks. And Mm -hmm. uh, the strategy was finding properties that needed updating on the MLS and sending Mm -hmm. the realtors emails. Do you still do that? We we teach again for people who tight on budget, we definitely tell them to go and do this strategy, especially if you leverage, like we, we, we taught in the course to leverage virtual assistance. You have a template email. They know specifically what to go after. So they're sending email with attachment of the proof of funds. 
It usually get the attention of the agent. And again, sometimes you can do a hard offer. Sometimes you can do a soft offer, but it's a great conversation starter uh, just to show that you are serious. So we, we still teach that. We, it's, it doesn't work as good as it used to be in the bigger markets. It's works much better in the more in the suburbs, like in, an hour or two hours away from the big cities. Uh, we can see a better response rate in the bigger markets. It's, again, it's, it's it's hard to to see it really working. Yeah, and and I would encourage people Today. if they're thinking about doing that, um, pick up the phone and just call these yeah. realtors. Right, call them and text them about a particular house. And what I like to do is look for the older listings, the ones that have been on the market for 30 plus days and they haven't sold yet. They need work. Call those listing agents up, right? And call some of the uh, the cheaper rental properties as well mm-hmm. because call those property managers and those leasing agents and just say, hey, would your client be... The, the one I called yesterday, this was a rehab that they just finished the rehab. They way over rehabbed it, by the way, for a rental property. Yeah. But I called her. And I said, hey, you know, this is a beautiful house. Thank you. You know, and her clients are real proud of it. It took them over mm-hmm. a year to rehab it. But anyway, I, so of course they don't want to sell it right now. They're just going to rent it out. But I asked her, do you have any other clients that have a lot of properties with something they might like to sell? And do you know anybody? Yeah. And uh, I said to her the key thing. I said, listen, if you bring me a deal, I don't have a buyer's representative yeah. yet. And so if you want, you can be my buyer's agent and I'll pay you the commissions for any deals you bring me. And yeah. all of that got her interest. And she said, yeah, yes. you know what? In fact, just funny, you should call. I've got this mm-hmm. property. It's not on the MLS. I know the seller. They're wanting to sell it. And they might take like 49000 for it. His estimate is ninety two. So I don't know if it's a good deal. It might be. But uh, bam, there you go. All right. So I got another question. Um, sure. What, you know, you're coaching somebody. You're doing deals from Israel. How yes. does the whole transaction work? Like, how does that, how does that wholesaler in Israel get paid? How do they fund the deals? How do they, what do you teach them to do? Got it. So, yeah. So, so first of all, we, we teach people to put the property under contract over the phone and then to go inspect the property. So we hire boots on the ground to go and take pictures of the property after we have it, we have it under contract uh, just to kind of verify the condition of the property that the sellers told us over the phone. And if it's, everything looks as they described moving forward. If it's completely off than what they describe to us, we may go and renegotiate. But then we just open escrow like any other deals. Uh, we market the deal to buyers. Again, when you assign the deal, you don't need to go to, again, you can sign everything electronically. Only when you're doing double closing, this is when you start to notarize documents and ship them over. And it just becomes a little bit more complicated. But most of the, of the people that we work with have an LLC. They open an LLC in the U.S., and they can have they can they can have an LSC resolution authorizing the closing agent to sign on their behalf, so they don't need to be present if they're doing if they're doing double closing. And when the deal is closed, they just again they have usually they have bank account in the U.S. because they have an LLC and they just wire the funds to their bank account in Israel. Is it in, hard in the U.S. Is it hard for somebody living in Israel to create an LLC in the U.S. and open up a business checking account in the U.S.? The, the biggest challenge that we see here now is to, op- again, opening the LLC, it's easy, especially in specific states. There are states that are more friendlier than others, uh, usually the red states, obviously. Uh, <laughs> opening, the, opening the accounts, it's more challenging because banks want you to be physically present to open the account. So th- there is few resources out there that you can get, like a routing numbers in a bank account without, it's, and it's not a really a bank, it's kind of a, a company that kind of transferring the money to this company that they're legit. And then from there, they transferring the money to your bank account in Israel. But it's much easier just to open an account, to fly one time to the US and open an account. Then you're good to go. Aren't there online only banks? Uh, they are, they are, but it's not as developed. Uh, it's just still some, some title companies uh, will not recognize it, but some title companies will actually wire the funds to an Israeli account as long as they have the the IBAN, you know, all the like the equivalent of the checking account and the routing number. It's for international banking. As long as they have that, they're okay. And if not, they just need to find a creative way to get the money to Israel. You know, I uh, I used to bank. This was way back in two thousand, the year two thousand. I had a uh, a bank account with NetBank netbank.com. And I just okay. went there. This has been years and years and years, but it was an online only bank. And now it's called 
AXOS Bank. Axos. Axos Bank. AXOS? Yeah. If you just type in netbank.com, and uh, it's called, you know, they have things here that says America's Best Online Bank, Best Online Bank for Savings and Checkings. Okay. And I don't know if there's a small business, there's a button here for small business banking. The, the challenge is that most of them require a, a social security card, a social security numbers, and to most Israelis, they don't have it. So they need to open an uh, ITIN, just to like an individual tax ID number in order to, to be legit. So, but there is a ways around it. There are resources that we, we connect them with, but the easiest way is just opening a bank account in the U.S. You know, another thing you could do if you're doing deals virtually, and I even, um, even if I'm even in the United States, I do this most of the time. I will, what am I trying to say? I'll partner with local people, right? Is that something that you, uh, you do all, anytime when uh, it's just easier to partner with somebody local on the deal? For sure. So we teach them, especially in the beginning, because we want to shorter the, the time frame before when they started until they close the deal. So if they want to, to make it shorter, once they get the property on a contract or they have a good quality lead just to JV with a local partner on the ground, this way they can leverage their buyers list on all the resources, their info. Again, the title company, usually they will tell them if the numbers is right or not. And they will don't need to do all the disposition side of the deal in exchange to 50% of the deal. But I think it's a fair, it's a fair split in order to get uh, the check quicker. I'm wondering if, um, you know, like there's Chase banks all over the world. I'm wondering if you could, are there banks like that in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv that also have branches in the United States? I don't, I think there is Citibank, but I don't think they will allow to open. It's usually for Americans that live in Israel because there is like crazy now, this is like 200,000 American, again, eligible voters. That's why, again, and, and in the, before the election, they targeted these people because Americans can vote from anywhere in the world. Unlike Israel, for example, if I'm living in the U.S., I cannot vote uh, while I'm living abroad. In okay. The U.S. is different. There's like 200,000 Americans that live in Israel. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's usually these banks serve the American population in Israel, and it's less okay. letting foreigner, like foreigner, Israelis to open the company there. So, but if you partner with yeah. somebody in, in the United States, they can just, they can pay you through PayPal or something Correct. like that, right? Correct. Yes. There's ways around it. When there's a will, there is a way. So, so definitely PayPal works perfect. Zelle, there is cash app. All of these options are available, especially nice. if you have, yeah, if you now, have if you, somebody if you, you can trust in the US. Okay. And if you have to notarize something, do you do, do you just do FedEx or usually um, they are yeah there are notaries in Israel and then you need to FedEx the original to to the US with FedEx usually that's the way again I I have a, a somebody who's willing to notarize documents for me in the US but this is a relationship that I built over the years and I usually give them I authorize them to sign on my behalf and they have like an an LLC a resolution that everything is again the paperwork is looks good and, and they just sign on my behalf. So I don't need to deal with the FedEx because it can be costly to notarize. I don't know, especially if you're taking a hard money loan in Israel. Somebody told me he paid almost a thousand dollar to notarize like 30 because again, when you take a hard money loan, they have you notarize like 15 documents. So it's it cost him almost a thousand dollar just to notarize the document. Wow. Just to notarize the documents. Now, I, I'm sorry for all the questions. This is fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. Are there any laws against somebody from another country buying a property or a house in the United States? Like, No, no. Anybody can buy a property. There's a lot of foreigners yeah. that buy. A lot of Asians bought tons of properties in Vancouver and all over the country, really. Uh, and law. no, and, and even if it was, you can always open an LLC. And the members of this LLC are, again, they are foreigners. But yeah. U.S. is open for business for anyone in the world. Because I've seen, you know, I've, when I look up property records, I've seen properties that have as the mailing address a foreign. Yes. Overseas. Overseas, yeah, overseas. Yes. And I don't see why the county, any particular county that you're buying a property in would say, oh, you can't record this deed because it's not a U.S.-based address. It just no. happens. All right. So interesting. Where there's a will, there's a way. And the point is, if you're listening to this 
And, uh, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people. I've interviewed missionaries that were in Africa that were doing deals mm -hmm. in the United States, right? There is a way to do it. Good friend yes. of mine, Jack Bosch, helps people mm -hmm. flip vacant land from Germany. Like no. it's you, you can do deals from anywhere in the world. And you just got to connect with people that are already doing it, right? If you're in Israel, connect with Hein. If you're in uh, Africa, just scour Facebook groups. You're going to find somebody that are doing, they're doing deals in Africa, from Africa in the United States. Create an LLC, find somebody local that you can partner with. When I was doing deals in Prague, when I was living in the Czech Republic for a few years, for a few months, I mean, I just partnered with people that were already doing deals in Memphis, in, in, in St. Petersburg in St. Louis. And I just, yeah. I just partnered with them. I did the marketing. I pre-screened the leads, gave them good leads. They closed them, flipped them. We split the deals 50-50. It was great. 100%. It can uh, be done. People don't uh, realize how lucky they are to live in the internet age, yeah. really. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's so powerful. Uh, and the technologies that we have today, again, I can have, again, my boots Again, just walking me around in any properties in the U.S. and I'm kind of as if I'm there. And even people in the U.S. can do it without leaving the comfort of the house. Uh, they can go on Skype. They can go into on a WhatsApp. And I have, again, walkthroughs in properties is as if I'm there. So it's amazing. Uh, the technology is there. Nice. Hein, thank you so much, man. How can people reach you? How can people get a hold of you? Do you have a website or something? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm most active on Facebook. So just reach out to me on Facebook. Hi, Maman Palman. And, and that's the, the best way to kind of uh, follow me to see what I do. If you are interested to learn more about it, uh, you can hit me up and we can go from there. What's the name of your Israeli Facebook group? It's Virtual Wholesaling Israel. Virtual Wholesaling Israel. Wholesaling Israel. Yes. Nice. It's mainly for Hebrew speaking. So if you don't speak Hebrew, it's going to be very hard for you to understand what's going on there. But also uh, my Facebook page, The Virtual Wholesaler Guy, there is a lot of content in English there. So you can also find a lot of content on my Facebook page, The Virtual Wholesaler Guy. Nice. All right. We're getting a lot of uh, comments here, like Ralph saying, hey, that's awesome. Let's see here. Alan, yes, we are really alive. He must have said that when I spilled my water. <laughs> uh, Aishu, do you know him? I don't. Okay. Well, hi, Aishu. <laughs> okay. Al, come on. All right. Awesome. And then Sharon, yes. Hello. A couple of the questions here that are good questions, but probably not the best place to ask them here on this page, okay. on this video. But cool. Hey, Haim, thank you so much, man. Um, Joe, thanks for having me again. It's a pleasure. And also, again, you are one of the, the people who kind of influenced me to, to take this journey, to believe that it's possible. I, awesome. I really relate to your story that you are an engineer unhappy with your your job and i kind of wow. very related nice. to it nice uh, i always wanted to do deals while traveling with my family and you you inspired this in me i'd love to come to israel someday and hang out with you let's do it all right shalom all right shalom thank you very much joe see you Haim. take care everybody